So the deadliest war in all of, all of American history is the Civil War. Um, in this war, it's estimated that over 625,000 Union and Confederate soldiers were killed. And this war just lasted from 1861 to 1865. As we think about that, most of us would think, okay, this was such a, a deadly war because we actually fought on both sides. And we would be right in thinking that. In fact, I think over 50% of all the, the military deaths in our history came in the Civil War. Many of us too would think, okay, it was the kind of combat that took place, you know, close combat with rifles and stuff like that. That's why there were so many deaths. And we would be right in thinking that way as well. But in actuality, the greatest reason for death among the soldiers in the Civil War were actually things that were unseen. You see, within the Civil War, there was this invisible war that was taking place. Disease was the number one cause of death in the Civil War. Out of the 625,000 deaths, over two-thirds of them were caused by disease by the spreading of diseases. You see, surgeons, they would actually take their instruments and use them from person to person, transmitting these diseases. Cross-contamination, it was something that wasn't known. So they wouldn't even wash or sanitize these instruments when using them on the next soldier. And because of this, these horrible diseases, they ran rampant throughout the camps of the soldiers during the war. So unfortunately, the doctors, the nurses, they were completely unaware of the invisible forces that were happening and were taking place in that war. This morning, if you have your Bible, go ahead and open it up. We're going to be in Ephesians chapter 2, continuing our new series called The Invisible War. If you don't have a Bible, we actually have Bibles right there in front of you. Um, they're the NIV translation of the Bible. I'm going to be speaking and teaching out of the NIV this morning. And if you don't have a Bible, that Bible in front of you is a gift from us to you. Take it home. Read it. See how it changes your life. Um, and while you're flipping to Ephesians chapter 2, uh, let me unpack for you just a little bit of what Pastor Ray started for us in this letter to the church at Ephesus. So we found out that during his first mission trip to uh, take the gospel to the ends of the earth, the Apostle Paul, he finally hits Asia. He would spend two years with the Christians in the city of Ephesus. And much later, he would write what I believe and what many scholars would believe is the greatest letter that we have on the invisible war, on spiritual warfare. And Pastor Ray, he asked this question. And I think it's so important for us to ask this question with everything that we read from God's word. Why study the book of Ephesians? Because we fight battles too, both physical and spiritual. It wasn't just Paul. We encounter difficulty. We need to be assured as well. And last week, we actually saw this diagram we're going to put up on the screen here, this diagram of the heavenly realms. And Pastor Ray, he showed us that Paul speaks of these spiritual blessings that we receive from Jesus Christ now, right now, in the heavenly realms. We saw this in chapter one and verse three. And then today, we're gonna to see this very same thing in chapter two, and it's gonna be throughout the entire book of Ephesians. It shows us that the spiritual or the heavenly realms, they exist within the spiritual realms that you and I can see and touch right now. 
So as we journey through this book, we're going to go chapter by chapter and we're going to go layer by layer and see how this book builds upon each other like this wonderful crescendo. And last week, if you were here, you heard how it kind of just starts off with a whisper but gets louder and louder until we get to chapter six, where there is this thunderous climax in chapter six, verses 10 through 11, where Paul says this to the church at Ephesus. He says, finally, be strong in the Lord and in the strength of his might. Put on the whole armor of God that you may be able to stand against the schemes of the devil. But when we read that, that begs some questions for us today as we look at chapter two. What are these invisible forces that Paul's talking about? How can we put on this whole armor of God and stand against the schemes of the devil? How are we to battle in this invisible war? Now this morning to answer that, I wanna look at one phrase, one phrase that maybe it can be kind of a mantra for you this week, but it's this phrase, one team and one fight, all right? We're gonna look at what it means to be one team and be together in one fight. As we battle as one team, a unified group, a unified front, how do we do that and step up together in one fight with a unified goal? And with this phrase, as our backdrop this morning, let's look at what it means first to be one team. In verses one one through 10 of Ephesians chapter two, we're gonna answer the question, how to be one team. The first thing, that I would say that we need to do in order to be one team is to recognize that there are invisible forces that want to keep you off of the team. First, we need to recognize that there are invisible forces that want to keep you off the team. So let's read Ephesians chapter two, beginning in verse one. It says this, as for you, you were dead in your transgressions and sins in which you used to live when you followed the ways of this world and of the ruler of the kingdom of the air, the spirit spirit who is now at work in those who are disobedient. All of us also lived among them at one time, gratifying the cravings of our flesh and following its desires and thoughts. Like the rest, we were by nature deserving of wrath. Deserving of wrath. When I was in high school, I was the kicker for the football team. I think many of you that know me probably know that. Now, it wasn't mean that I was kicked off of the football team, but I was the kicker. So I was the place kicker and the punter for the football team. And I absolutely loved it. It was was so much fun. My sophomore year, I I came in and and things were going really well. And my junior year, I, I got a lot better. Things were looking up. But then came my senior year and a devastating injury took place. And regardless of the pain, I I tried to play as often as I could. You see, I couldn't come to grips that there were these invisible forces that were trying so desperately to keep me off the team. I just wanted to turn a blind eye to them and act like they didn't exist. And because of this, I never rightly overcame my injury. In this passage that we just read in these, in these first few verses, there's a, a spiritual battle that is raging. And sa- Satan desperately wanted to keep everyone off of God's team. And he wants the same thing for you today. He wants to keep you off of the team. One of Satan's greatest weapons, one of his greatest weapons is to make you think that he doesn't exist. You ever thought about that? 
He wants to make you think he doesn't exist. He doesn't want you to even recognize that there is an invisible war going on for your very soul and your very eternity. He wants to make sure you don't, uh, that you cannot fight that invisible war. He wants nothing more than to destroy you, to destroy your marriage, to destroy the relationships that you have with your kids or maybe your grandkids. He wants to take all of your fears, all of your failures and use them so that you will not take possession of the promises that God has in store for you. From the beginning, as we read here, um, it says that when the ruler of the kingdom of the air, or in some version it says the prince of the power of the air, from the beginning, when he entered the garden in chapter three, and when Adam and Eve ate of the fruit, the greatest invisible force entered this world, sin. Sin. Because of that sin, now it's, it's passed down from generation to generation. We are born with this sin nature. Paul here, he says that you were dead in your transgressions. Not that you were sick, but you're dead in your transgressions. He's saying that you're spiritually born disconnected from God. And it says that you were born children of wrath or that you're born deserving of wrath. Satan and his invisible forces. He wants nothing more than to blind you from what's really happening behind the scenes. And he wants to bind you in that sin nature. So let me ask you this morning, what is it in your life? What is it in your life that Satan is trying to use? What invisible force is he trying to use to keep you off of God's team? What sin do you need to recognize as tearing you down today. So in order to be one team, we must first recognize that there are some invisible forces that wanna keep us off the team. But the second thing that we need to do is to realize that you cannot earn a spot on God's team. All right, we need to realize that you cannot earn a spot on God's team. Let's continue in verse four. It says this, but because of his great love for us, God, who is rich in mercy, made us alive with Christ, even when we were dead in our transgressions. It is by grace you have been saved and God raised us up with Christ and seated us with him in the heavenly realms in Christ Jesus, in order that in the coming ages, he might show the incomparable riches of grace expressed in his kindness to us in Christ Jesus. And then verse eight says, for it is by grace that you have been saved through faith. And this is not from yourselves. It is the gift of God and not by works so that no one may boast. In verse four, Paul starts off, he says, but because of his great love for us, God. In the, in the ESV translation, it says, but God. So we're born dead, but God. But God, you see, God takes action. We cannot do this on our own. In fact, we'll, we'll so often try to remove God from so many of the things that we do. But then in verse five, Paul, Paul says that God has made us alive with Christ Jesus. Again, God takes action. One of the really cool things about this phrase, made us alive with Christ, is something that can't be seen in our English versions. So if we look at the original text, um, the New Testament is written in Greek. And in the Greek, this is called a punctiliar action in the aorist tense. They have these cool tenses. And this tense actually means it is a completed action that can't be repeated. 
So he's made us alive with Christ. It's completed. It's done. For instance, you're physically born once. You cannot be born again physically. It has been completed. You are now alive. And it's the same thing here. He has made us alive spiritually with Jesus Christ. And it gets even better. It says in verse 6 that God continues to take action. And once again, this is an action that's completed and cannot be repeated. It says that we have been raised up, raised up with Christ and seated us with him in the heavenly realms to fight this spiritual battle. This is wonderful news, friends. Wonderful news. Um, We are seated in the heavenly realms with Christ Jesus. So we can reign over the invisible forces that used to reign over us, such as lust, such as sin, such as anxiety, such as depression. And if this isn't enough, he goes on to some of my favorite verses in all of scripture in verses eight and nine. He tells us specifically and explicitly that we cannot earn a spot on God's team. We cannot earn our salvation. He says that we are saved by grace through faith. It is a free gift of God. Amen. Just the other day, I was uh, talking with my daughter who's sitting right over here. My daughter, Evie, she's six. Um, And I said, Evie, have you heard about this word grace? She said, yeah, I've, I've heard about it. I said, do you know what it means? He's like, not really. And I, I said, it, it's, a tough, it's a tough word to understand. I said, but as simply as I can make it, it's, it's receiving something really, really awesome that you don't deserve. And if you have kids, and you probably know this, if you have little kids, whenever they hear something, they, they have to internalize it and make an example to give back to you, right? You ever had that happen before? So with her, she said, so daddy, it would be like this. I come home on Friday you know, because Fridays are crazy. I come home on Friday and then I come in the door and I just start running around like a crazy person. I'm climbing on the walls, doing all these things. And then I go up to my little brother, Roman. I go up to him and I knock him down. All right. And then you come up to me and you say, hey, Evie, do you want some ice cream? Right. And on top of that, she's like, and do you want to go on vacation to Florida? <laughs> I said, yeah, I think, I think you get it. I mean, she really does kind of understand. Instead of receiving the consequences that she would get from those actions, she got something that was really, really awesome. We cannot earn our salvation. We can only receive it. We can only receive it. Have you received the free gift of grace? Have you placed your faith in Jesus Christ? Or have you been like so many of us and just trying to desperately earn your way to salvation. So again, how do we become one team? Recognize that there are invisible forces that want to keep you and I off the team. Realize that you can't earn a spot on the team, but finally respond knowing that you are meant to be on the team. Respond knowing that you're meant to be on the team. Let's read verse 10. For we are God's handiwork, created in Christ Jesus to do good works, which God prepared in advance for us to do. Paul says here that we are God's handiwork or his masterpiece. And in the ESV, it's my favorite translation of this word. It says we are his workmanship. We are his workmanship. What this means for us, friends, is that we are not saved by good works, but we are saved for good works. 
We're not saved by good works, but we're saved for good works. If you look at any of the best teams, whether this is a sports team, maybe it's the team that you're on at work, students, maybe it's the team that you have for a school project. If you look at those teams, they understand that they need to do good work. They need to do good work. Um, They recognize that they have, each person has a role and a responsibility in that team. And while none of us can earn our salvation, we sure can live a life that's worthy of the death of Jesus Christ, right? As one team, the team right here, known as Graceland Baptist Church, how are you doing that as part of this one team? How are you doing that? Are you, first of all, are you plugged into a group? Are you linking arms in community with others to grow in Jesus Christ? We would love nothing more than to see you get plugged into a group, maybe on a Sunday morning like like today, or maybe any night during the week. But in addition to this, we want you to take on a role and a responsibility. You're meant to be on this team. And because you're meant to be on this team, there is stuff to do. There is stuff to do. I desperately want you to take possession of the promises that God has given you in His Son, Jesus Christ. That's how we're to become one team. But in addition to that, to fight the invisible forces in this invisible war, let's look at how we can have one fight as well. We're going to look at verses 11 through 22 in order to do that. And the first way, the first way that we can have one fight is to remember where we came from. We need to remember and look back at where we've come from. Let's pick up in verse 11. Therefore, remember that formerly you who are Gentiles by birth and called uncircumcised by those who, are, who call themselves the circumcision, which is done in the body by human hands. Verse 12, remember that at that time you who were separate from Christ, excluded from citizenship in Israel and foreigners to the covenants of the promise without hope and without God in the world. In verses 11 and 12, Paul starts off by telling his readers in Ephesus to remember who they were before Jesus Christ. And we too, we need to remember who we are before Jesus Christ. Now, Jesus, or Paul here, he's talking to two different groups. On one hand, you've got the Gentiles who are known as the circumcision group. On the other hand, you've got, uh, excuse me, the Jews who are known as the circumcision group. On the other hand, you've got the Gentiles who are known as the uncircumcised group. And the Gentiles, they were living in bondage and they were living in slavery to sin. And because of that, these verses say they were separate, excluded, foreigners, without hope, without God. And so Paul, he wants them to remember this. And he wants us as Gentiles today to remember this as well. There was a man named Henry Brown, all right? He lived um, during the Civil War era. And right before the Civil War, he and his family were in bondage and in slavery. One awful day, his wife and his child were taken from him and sent away from him, and he would never see them again. But it was at that moment that Henry Brown decided that he was going to escape slavery no matter the cost. And so what he did was, is he actually got into a crate that was barely big enough for his body, and he set sail from Richmond to Philadelphia. And in doing so, he lasted 27 hours in this crate. 27 hours of this grueling time in the cramped confines of this box. But when he got to 
Philadelphia, he became a magician and he started doing this act and he included this box in his act. He would get into it and get out of it. And so he became known as Box Brown. Box Brown. You see, Box Brown remembered where he came from. He remembered the bondage and the slavery that he would fight the rest of his life to daily experience the freedom that he now had. Let me ask you this this morning, church. If you're a Christ follower in the room today, do you remember who you were before Jesus Christ? Do you remember that? It's so important for us in our freedom now to look back and to remember in order to have one fight today. But secondly, in order to have one fight, we must be able to reconcile our differences. We must reconcile our differences. Let's keep reading, picking up in verse 13. But now in Christ Jesus, you who were once, you who once were far away have been brought near by the blood of Christ. For he himself is our peace. Listen to that. Who has made the two groups, the Gentiles and the Jews, one and has destroyed the barrier, the dividing wall of hostility by setting aside in his flesh the law with its commands and regulations. His purpose was to, was to create in himself one new humanity out of the two, thus making peace and in one body to reconcile both of them to God through the cross by which he put to death their hostility. He came and he preached peace to you who were far away and peace to those who were near. For through him, we both have access to the Father by one spirit. I absolutely love these phrases. If you have time this week, you should go home and just reread verses 13 through 18 over and over again. Because these phrases have this really cool duality to them. All right? We are to fight for peace. Fight for peace together. Look at the language that Paul uses here. In verse 14, he says that Jesus is our peace. Jesus has made the two groups one. And he has broken down, he's destroyed this wall of hostility. In verse 15, he says that he has made one new humanity or one new man, these Gentiles and these Jews together. And I just wanna camp out on this for just a moment. I think there are several implications that we can get from this verse, but there's one that I especially wanna hit on. Paul is saying that all of the physical distinctions that we have don't matter. They don't matter. He's saying we are all able to be spiritually equal before God when we give our lives to him. But let's talk about what this means and what this doesn't mean. First of all, what it doesn't mean is, is that we are colorblind when it comes to race and when it comes to physical distinction. No, there is a celebration of diversity like there's a celebration of the triune nature of God. We, it's not that we don't see diversity in the church. It's that we have been empowered to celebrate diversity in the church. Do you see that? What it does mean is that we're spiritually equal, justified before God because of Jesus's death, regardless of all these things, regardless of our, socially, our social or economic stage, regardless of our age. One of the things I absolutely love about Graceland is that we are a multi-generational church, right? We can celebrate the diversity that we have in age. And it's not that we don't see age, it's that we've, get, again, been empowered to celebrate this diversity that we have 
in these things. And Lord willing, we will continue to have greater diversity when it comes to color, when it comes to race, when it comes to ethnicity, when it comes to social status, when it comes to economic status, when it comes to age, because we are told in scripture that every tribe, every tongue, every nation one day will be standing before the throne of grace, right? Then in verse 16, Paul continues writing and talking about reconciliation and peace when he says that both groups, both Jews and Gentiles have been reconciled to God in one body, killing this hostility. How many of you in this room have seen the movie, Remember the Titans? Anyone? Okay, that's quite a few. Remember the Titans is one of my all-time favorite childhood movies. And there is a famous scene where there are two leaders of the football team where they finally decide to reconcile their differences. But it was at this moment in this movie that they were able to reconcile their differences. And once they did, they were one team and in it for one fight. Paul closes this section by stating that in this reconciliation, both Jews and Gentiles coming together, people of all races, people of all ethnicity, people of all ages, all of these things, through that we can have access to God in one spirit through the blood of Jesus Christ. And finally, for us to be one team and in one fight, to fight against these invisible forces in this world, we must be willing to rise up as one. We must be willing to rise up as one. Let's keep reading and finish out the chapter. Verse 19 says, Consequently, you are no longer foreigners and strangers, but fellow citizens with God's people and also members of his household, built on the foundation of the apostles and prophets with Christ Jesus himself as the chief cornerstone. In him, the whole building is joined together and rises to become a holy temple in the Lord. And in him, you too are being built together to become a dwelling in which God lives by the Spirit. Amen. So to close out this discourse of grafting in the Gentiles to be one man, Paul uses this beautiful analogy of a house throughout verses 19 through 22. And this demonstrates the union that we have with Jesus Christ. Verse 19 says that we are members of God's household. Verse 20 says that we are built on the foundation that is Jesus Christ, who is our chief cornerstone. So often in life, friends, what we do is, is we will do things and build things. And when we get done, maybe we'll, we'll throw God on and throw Jesus on as the capstone and give him a little bit of credit but it's for nothing if he's not our cornerstone. The very first stone laid in our foundation. So often, so often we just throw Jesus on at the end. We just add his name to the end of things. But friends, let me tell you this. It is only in Jesus Christ that we can rise up and become his holy temple. It is only in him that we can rise up and defeat the prince of the power of the air. As one team, we believe in the promises of God and we are willing to step into his dwelling place for his spirit right here at GBC. In one fight, we can take possession of his promises and share this with a community right here in Southern Indiana who desperately needs a savior. It is only in him that we can then put on the full armor of God, rise up against the schemes of the the devil. We are to be one team and one fight. As we finish up this morning, 
in just a few moments as the band comes out and plays. I just want to talk to three different groups of people today. I want each person in this worship center from the top row in the balcony to the, the people up front here to think about what is my next step? What have we learned from Ephesians chapter two? It's not enough to know things up here, but it needs to affect change in our very lives. So the first group is for you that have not joined the one team that truly matters. I invite you to step into a relationship with Jesus Christ this morning. It is only in Him that the invisible forces of this world can be defeated. You cannot do it alone. Through His death on the cross, through His resurrection from the grave, Jesus has conquered sin. And so I invite you to respond to that this morning. Maybe for you though, you're in this next group. You've joined, joined God's team. You feel like you're a part of His team, but you haven't really joined in the fight. You haven't really joined in the fight. Maybe for, for you, your next step is to just simply get into a group, to see what it means to join in the vision of this church. Maybe join Graceland Baptist, Baptist Church as a member. In these groups, in this church, you are going to be equipped, given the full armor of God in order to battle Satan each and every day. And the final group is for those of you who are ready to rise up. You're ready to rise up. You're ready to lead the charge for one team and for one fight. If this is you, maybe God is calling you today to lead a group. Maybe he's calling you to serve in some capacity. Maybe it's in kids or students, on the tech team, on the worship team. Maybe it's the adult groups. Maybe it's in our recreation. We have so many ways for you to get plugged in. Are you willing? Are you ready to rise up? Or maybe he's calling you to be a part of one of our mission trips. Next week is Join the Mission Sunday. We're gonna celebrate how God has called us, just like Paul, to take his gospel to the ends of the earth. Maybe he's preparing your heart now to join one of those teams, to step up and to take his gospel. Friends, I would encourage each of us this morning to take possession of the promises that God has given to us and let us join together in this one team, in one fight, in this invisible war for the sake of the gospel of Jesus Christ.